0: pretty compelling statement, isn't it? What do you see? What do you see when you look around this place? What do you see when you look around our community? What do you see when you look around your school, when you look around the grocery store that you go to, the, the office that you go to, the places that you find yourself in week in and week out? What do you see? We're in uh, essay number 40 in our core series, uh, Four fifty-two series. It's called God's solution to racism. That's the essay that uh, you all should have read. And so, just real quick, um, who read? Who had an opportunity to read the essay? Have you read the? Okay, God's solution to racism. A really good essay. Anybody read Jonah chapters one through three? Has anyone ever read Jonah chapters one through three? Okay, listen. Let me just tell you, I, I read that this week, and I was like, "Woo, son! Talk about racist! Like that Jonah man. He did not like the Ninevites at all. He." Even after he preached to them, he went up on a hill and he was like, okay, God, I did my part. I preached to him. I told him that you do your part, just drop them. send down the pain, make them suffer. Wait, what? You're forgiving them? And Jonah was so upset. He was like, why should I go on living? God really had to do a work in Jonah for him to see the value in the, the cultural differences and in, in the race of the Ninevites. And, and I just, I, I love that story. And I just kind of enjoyed reading that again through the, a different lens, if you will. Did anybody take time to look at Isaiah 49, 6 or Ephesians 2, 13 and 14, Revelation 7, 9 and 10? That's, that's good. Some of you raising your hands. How about the day five commit point? Every week there's this day five, which is kind of like an action item. And, and this was it. In case you missed it, it said, it said, Take the time to have a meal with someone from a different ethnic or cultural background to learn about that person's story. Now, if you haven't done that, I want to encourage you to do that one. Uh, and, and you don't have to do it this week. Do it Do it next week. Find someone at work and just tell them. Say, listen, I want to know more about you, about your family history or about where you came from or, or something like that. And just, um, you know, have them over for dinner. You can learn a lot from people who aren't like us. All right? And speaking of that, our memory verse. Did anybody memorize Acts 17:26? I'm not going to call you up on stage if you did. It was kind of a rough one. Um, and... and it, a lot of the memory work, it's on the walls all throughout the building and stuff. And, and, and the neat thing, most of the memory verses that Mark Moore has, has challenged us with, they kind of have a flow to them. And I was like, this one doesn't flow for me. It was hard. <laughs> it's like, it just didn't flow. But it's Acts 17:26 says, From one man, uh, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. That's Acts 17:26. And, and so it's like, wow. But what I want to do is we start out on this conversation about God's solution to racism. Because I want to put our memory verse into context real quick. You see, Paul doesn't just say this randomly, all right? He's in Athens. He's, he's, he's on one of his missionary journeys, as, as we call them, when you look at the travels that Paul did. And he is proclaiming this new teaching about Jesus. He's, he's sharing the gospel. And, and as I said, he's in Athens, and they bring him to a place, to the, the meeting place of the... Uh, Aeropagus. We call it Mars Hill. It's a place where the, the influential smart people would come together and they would talk about life. They would talk about philosophy and religion. They would even talk about the, the gods, as it were. They would also hold trials on the uh, Aeropagus. They would, they would hold trials. Um, most importantly, they tend to have murder trials at this place. And so there was a lot of conversation about life and death there. And when they weren't holding trials, the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Does this sound familiar? When we're, when we're not at church, when we're, when we're not at work, we spend time listening to the latest ideas. The news, the CNN, the Fox, the ABC, the CBS, the, the Facebook, the Twitter, wherever it is you get your news from. I don't, I don't recommend Twitter for news, but some people, that's their news source. <laughs> See, things. Uh, uh, Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> you know? They they sat around, spending their time talking and listening about the latest ideas. And Paul is there. And they asked him, they said, may we know what this new teaching is that you're sharing? They said, you were bringing strange ideas to our ears. Can you explain it for us? Which... Uh, if you know anything at all about the Apostle Paul, asking him to explain the life of Jesus is like saying "sickum" to a dog. He's like, "Ah, yeah, I'm all in." You know, he, Paul's like, "Oh, can I? <laughs> Let me tell you. Just have a seat. I'm going to share some things." So he stands up in the middle of this meeting of the of Europagus. The and, and, and again, this is a multiracial group. There's locals, there are foreigners, there's all different walks of people. This is where they came for their information. This was their Facebook. This was their social media, all in one spot. And so Paul stands up in the middle and he says, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. He starts off giving them a compliment, which I love. And, and then he says, as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown god, and he starts off by telling him, "Hey, it's, it's evident you're, you're very religious." And then he says, "He says, uh, but you're ignorant of the very thing you worship." It's like, whoa! How does? That's how you shut your audience down in like thirty seconds if you. You never open up. They teach you this in like speech class. You never open up by telling the people you're talking to that they're ignorant. You just turn them off right away. And so, but that's what Paul says. He says, hey, you have this, this inscription to an unknown God. And he, and he says, you're, you're ignorant of the very thing you worship. You're worshiping something you don't even know. He says, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples built by human hands. And he has not served by human hands, as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. And so at this point, they're all kind of leaning in and they're listening, and he makes this statement to this group of people from all different walks of life. I love this verse. And, and actually, before we get into the statement that he makes, we need to consider this. You need to consider before we go on and ask yourself this question. If I believe this verse that John is about to read, if I believe this verse is true, and knowing, that, 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 and knowing this, believe this is God's word. How will it affect the way I go to win and commit to grow? How will it affect the way that I approach others for Jesus? So if you believe this verse, which is Acts 17, 26, how will it change the way you approach others for Jesus? Because Paul said to the Areopagus, and this whole group of people who had all these different beliefs, all these different cultures. He says, from one man, every nation of mankind God made them to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. You see, he, and then he, then he goes on in verse 27. He tells them why God did this. He says, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and we have our being And then he says this, which brings it right back into their own backyard. He says, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And so he started with this thing. If I see you're very religious, I see you have all these these people, these gods you worship. You even have a a sign that says to to the unknown God. You're ignorant of that one. I'm going to explain it. He breaks it down real quick. And then he brings it back around and says, hey, even your own poets and, and your own writers have said we are his offspring. And that's the his that they're referring to. Paul is stating to them. He says, there's, there's one race. It's the human race made in the image of one God who, by the way, does not need to be represented by stone and metal or kept in a building. He even states the purpose of why mankind was created, to fill the earth, that, that mankind, that we would seek God, that we would reach out to him and find him. And I love that he says, and he's not far off. He's going to look far to find God. Man, we could stop right there. God's answer to racism is that even though we live in a world of global dispersion, even though we live in a world of diversity, and, and listen, global dispersion and diversity, those are healthy things. Those are not bad things that people are from everywhere. But, but domination or judging someone because of the... <clears throat> oh, that won't cost. Sorry, I'm very dyslexic. And, and it's only funny if I explain it to you guys. It should say because of the color of their skin, but... For some reason, it says because of the odor of their skin. Uh, It made sense right up until this point. I've read this like eight times. (laughs) Judging someone because of the odor of their skin is bad too. Uh, Just kind of loses its effectiveness. I'm an idiot. All right. um, (laughs) As I was saying, global dispersion and diversity is not bad, but when we... When we come at it through a place of dominating or judging someone because of the color of their skin or their cultural background in a world being prejudiced for whatever reason, in short, that's sin. Even in the Old Testament, God didn't approve of racism, all right? Uh, In Numbers chapter 12, there's this guy named Moses. You may have heard about him, all right? Um, uh, he, he, He was the one who led the Israelites out of slavery, and, and 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 in the book of Numbers, they're, they're they're kind of they're out and about, and and Moses does something. He marries a Cushite woman. And if you're not familiar with with uh, uh, geography and stuff like that, the uh, the Cushites were were Ethiopian. Okay, um, and so so Moses marries, uh, and, and again Moses is an Israelite. So what do Israelites look like? Okay, Middle East. The, typically, it's the the soft olive-colored skin. Okay. And, and what do Ethiopians look like? They're dark. They're dark. right? Now, I bring this up because Miriam, Moses' sister, says, well, well, hang on a sec. She's having a conversation with Aaron about Moses marrying a Cushite woman. And, and she's like, Moses marries this woman who's a Cushite, who's not like us. That's what she's saying. She says, He marries this woman that's not like us. Does God not talk to us too? And at that moment, and you need to read this. That's why it's Numbers 12 is right there. You can go back and read this for yourself. God comes down in the pillar cloud and he calls them out, right, to the meeting place. So they come out and God says to them, hey, just so you know, he said, to prophets and other people, I speak to them in visions and dreams and, and, and through prayer, but not so to Moses. I speak to Moses directly. I speak to Moses and I've entrusted him with my whole house. And then... He, he gives him some instruction, and God departs from him. And when the cloud leaves, Miriam, beautiful, olive-skinned Miriam, is ash-white and cursed with leprosy. You see, God's answer to racism is, is oh, you, you think she's too dark? Here you go, Miriam. And, and Aaron even says to Moses, she looks like a baby that's been stillborn. She's white, and she's ashy. Can, can you not go, go before? And so Moses goes before God, and he says, you know, forgive her, you know, restore her. And I like what God says here. He says, listen, if her father were to spit in her face for a minimum time, she would be outside the camp for seven days. So she can go outside the camp for seven days. He puts her in timeout. She can go outside the camp for seven days and think about what she said. Think about what she's done, because you're right. These are the leaders, Moses, Miriam, and Aaron, that are leading God's people, all right? And God said, I'm not putting up with that. And he puts her outside the camp for seven days. The camp Bible said the camp did not move to the next spot until she was able to be ceremonially cleansed and restored after that. Uh, Side note, I think this is kind of unique, but my brain works really weird. One of the first converts in the New Testament that we learn about in scripture is the Ethiopian eunuch that God sent Philip to. All right, you see, our God is not a racist God. He's a diverse God. He loves everybody. Everybody, all those pictures, all the people, everybody in this room, we we're all created within his image. All right? And so, so God, you know, we, 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 we like to take Scripture and justify it for the way we live our life. And you can't do that in this case. Well, you can't do that ever. But, you know, um, it's just unique. Now, I've had people say to me, and I bring this up because I've had this conversation, and so it's only fair to, to put this out there and let you wrestle with it, because I've had somebody say to me as I've talked about racism, they say, well, what about in the New Testament where the Bible says we should not be unequally yoked? Yeah, I know, I see your faces. That, is, that has nothing to do with skin color. It has nothing to do with cultural differences, all right? The reason that God did not want King Solomon marrying into other people was not because of the color of their skin. It wasn't because of what they ate or because of the way they decorated their houses. It was because of the gods that they would bring with them. And he warned Solomon about that. The reason God doesn't want you to be unequally yoked has to do with your spiritual side, with your religion, with your Christianity, with your foundational things that you know to be true from his word. It's got nothing to do with skin color. It's got nothing to do with culture. All right? Now, I've, I've had this conversation a lot lately. And, and if you watch our news there are a lot of crazy words being thrown out. that They've actually redefined racism, and you need to look that up because I didn't want to get into all that, but there's a new definition. If you look at like Webster's Dictionary from the 70s and Webster's Dictionary today, complete different definition for racism, all right? And it's really sad the, the way that they've redefined it. Um, there's things like critical race theory. There's things like, there's just all kinds of stuff that, that our culture, that our world is putting at us, and I'm, I'm part of a network of ministers. We meet every other Tuesday through Zoom, and um, I, one of our brothers, his name's Anthony Battle, and he's from a church in Tallahassee, Florida. It's the 1200 church, and um, I was going to fly him up and have him speak personally, but I couldn't do that. So he sent a video, and I want you to listen to what Anthony has to say about God's solution to racism. Check this out.
1: Hello, brothers and sisters. My name is Anthony Battle, and I am a part of the relational discipleship network team of ministers that gather together every other week uh, to do life together and to uh, really preserve a culture of discipleship in our churches. And um, I was asked by Lancaster and Mike to uh, share for about five minutes on the solution to racism. And I thought, five minutes? Shoot, I can do that in five seconds. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the solution to racism is Jesus. I think that was about five seconds. Uh, but I, I know you believe that Jesus is the solution, but uh, do you live like it? And uh, I really believe that uh, God's word is so true when it says that God has made every effort and we should make every effort to preserve the unity that he has established. You know, Jesus coming to this earth is an example of God himself making every effort and as Ephesians 1 says he reconciled man to himself and man to one another and uh, I remember seeing this effort lived out in 1985. I was a freshman in college and uh, I went to this church that now I'm a minister of and uh, and I saw for the first time on a Sunday morning black folk and white folk worshiping together. Uh, It was about 50-50, black and white, and I couldn't believe it. I thought they were on drugs. I said, this can't happen in Tallahassee, Florida in 1985. And, um, you know, the the, the reason why it came to be was just practically our white brothers and sisters went on campus, Florida A&M University's campus, which is a, a HBCU, historically black university, and they went and had life groups and they walked on that campus and the African American brothers were like who are they walking on our campus uh, sharing their faith and they boldly unconditionally shared the gospel and people became Christians and uh, I was a beneficiary of of that effort and uh, I just loved it and I, and I couldn't believe it that God could really unify blacks and whites together for one purpose and so um, I became a disciple of Jesus, and was baptized uh, into Christ, and started making every effort myself uh, to to deal with racism and uh, to love unconditionally. I remember one time we had a Bring Your Neighbor Day, okay, and that was where you invited everybody in your neighborhood, everybody in town, to come and have a great uh, worship, and, and, and food, and and I remember I was at the tire shop, and I was waiting for my car to get done, and I looked over and I saw this big, muscular, white, redneck kind of guy. I mean, he was—he, you know—he looked the part, and I'm like, I'm not inviting him. I'm not wasting my time inviting this fella. And so I said, "Man, die to yourself, Anthony. Stop being prejudiced." And so. I went up to him, I said, hey, I have an invitation for you. I'd love to invite you to our Bring Your Neighbor Day that our church is having. And he looked at it, and he looked at me. He said, thank you, man, I appreciate it. And my heart just, I I, I just felt so grateful, but also foolish that I judged somebody based on the way that they looked. And so um, that was just the beginning effort of, of me just, not seeing color not seeing social class um, but seeing people and uh, you know bottom line uh, race is a social concept not a biblical one and so the real race is the human race and so you know God has made every effort to reconcile himself to us and us to one another and um, I want to ask you a question what effort are you personally making to Really give to the human race and I pray that that you can let your light shine on uh, every human uh, and do life together with every human um, that doesn't look like you that don't look like you and 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 don't have your background and are not in your social class but I pray that you'll follow Jesus and you will go where he would have gone and that's to every man uh, and no matter what color no matter what background and uh, that truly is a solution to racism. And, and and as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have that solution. I love you guys. I uh, look forward to hopefully one day meeting you one day soon. But uh, you have an awesome day, and God bless.
0: So one of the neat things, he gave you a real short snapshot, but we're talking about Paul being in, at the Areopagus and and. On Mars Hill, and and I I was like, I wonder what that was like, and he goes, I'll tell you what that was like, he goes, it was like the couple of white guys that showed up on Florida (laughs) A&M, they didn't belong, that's what he goes. he goes, they didn't belong, you know, Paul was not in a place where people knew him, he wasn't in a place where he quote unquote belonged, but he went where God brought him to go, and he shared what God would have him share and that happened back in 85. And I don't know if you're familiar with Florida and back in the 80s, but there were some pretty substantial things happening back in the 80s. Uh, it, well, it wasn't just Florida, but, but actually it was in California. Uh, there was a young man named Rodney King that was arrested and beat by cops. It happened in the 80s, you know. There's um, some, some very uh, consequential things culturally happened in our world and have since then. And it just seems like since then... All this stuff has been about separating rather than unifying. And I loved when Anthony told us like the whole story and how these guys invested in him and some of his friends and these other people. And now he's preaching at the church that he first went to. And it's called the 1200. And it's just like, oh, it's so cool. Ephesians 2, 13 through 14 says this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And I was reading through my message this morning, and I felt compelled to share verses 15 and 16, and so I added those in. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. Thus, making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to put to God, to, excuse me, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which He put to death their hostility. The dividing wall that's that's referenced here was a literal barricade in the temple in Jerusalem that literally barred Gentiles from coming past a certain point. And there's there's some archaeological digs where they actually found. These uh, inscriptive stones that that talked about this is as far as you can go if you're not a a Jewish, a proper Jewish person, basically, if you're an outsider, if you're, you know. And and I just, I was like, wow. So God's solution to racism is that Jesus came to destroy every barrier to any person to come to God. And by the way, God's not that far. He's near. Uh, Allow me one more illustration, if you will. And this one's a little bit different than than what I've shared so far. And there's a guy, you may may know him, you may have heard of his name. Uh, It's George Lucas. Now, when he was 28 years old, he made a difficult, troubled film. He originally called it The Star Wars. I have this habit of when I'm saying stuff, I'll be like, instead of saying, hey, let's go get ice cream, I'll be like, let's go get the ice cream, right? And it just... So it's funny to me, it drives Mitzi crazy, uh, but he called it the Star Wars, and he grew up, George, George grew up in Modesto, California, he loved cars, he loved movies, he was especially just, he loved science fiction fantasies, he actually tried many times, and, and very unsuccessfully to buy the film rights to Flash Gordon, and when he, then he, he just couldn't do it, so he decided he was going to create his own outer space adventure. And Lucas, by the way, studied at the University of Southern California, the School of Cinematic Arts, and he completed his degree there. He tried to enlist in the United States Air Force, but was rejected because of numerous speeding tickets. <laughs> <laughs> to me, that's just kind of like ironic because like all the 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 um, you know, the 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 X-wing fighters and the the little land speeders and all that, the pod racers, it's like that's funny that the crux of all his movies is about speed, and so he, you know, too many speeding tickets would keep you out of the service. In 1967, he went to USC Film School in their graduate program. He filmed a short science fiction movie. It had a great title, and, and if you've ever seen it, I'd like to talk to you later. It's called, the, it's called Electronic Labyrinth, THX 11384EB. I mean, it's not as catchy as The Star Wars, but still, this movie, this short film won first prize at the 1967-68 National Student Film Festival. Following graduation, he released a longer version of TX-1138, which was a complete financial failure. (laughs) Should have stuck with the short story, apparently. Recovering from that disappointment of that first film release, he formed his own studio, Lucasfilm LTD. He produced, wrote, and directed a film based on his teenage years in Modesto called American Graffiti. You may have seen that. That was a huge and unexpected success. Then he sent his proposal for Star Wars to every major studio in Hollywood. Guess how many of them wanted it? None. <laughs> they all rejected him. Frustrated, he approached Alan Ladd Jr., the head of 20th Century Fox. He had offered him the movie, and, and Ladd accepted it, despite disapproval of his board of directors. So Lucas, he'd worked on this script for four years, Star Wars script, worked on it for four years, he was eager to put his ideas on film, but he realized that in the U.S., there was not a sound stage large enough to shoot the scenes. So he moved production to England. Now, the British camera and technical crews hated his film so much, they ridiculed it daily and made fun of him. This is the people that you hire to film your movie, and they're like, this is a disaster, mate, you know, or whatever they say. and They're just like, you know. They're just trashing him, right? And it's funny that their video was like that. I'm okay. Uh, but they ridiculed his film daily. Like the people that are making your movie are telling you, it's the worst thing I've ever done in my career. They created so many difficulties that he was just despaired of finishing his film. And after a few months, he, he had enough completed to piece together a rough cut of the movie. And I guess that's the process of of making movies. And um, that rough cut changed the cultural history of the world. You see, he returns back to California. He arranged for 12 close friends, all movie professionals, to screen this rough cut. And he shows it to him. And it ends. And he stands up and he asks him, hey, what'd you think about my movie? Pretty much everybody in the room criticized it and mocked his vision. Or Star Wars. I know some of you are like, gasp! The force was clearly not with them. <laughs> this small audience of his friends hated the movie and they, they repeatedly told Lucas that his project was an expensive disaster. And as people are talking about what a waste this movie was and people were giving their opinions, one man stood up. The room began to quiet down And the gentleman just kind of stood there. Other people in the room noticed him. And after a few minutes, the room silenced completely. And the man spoke. And he said this. He said that he thought the finished film would be the greatest movie in history. And then he sat down. Everyone was stunned. That someone, the the man stood up and said, the finished film was going to be the greatest movie in history. Other participants, they started talking back and forth about this one simple comment. And soon more people said, You know, I guess maybe it does have merit. Maybe I was a little harsh on you. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have made fun of the Wookiee, or I don't know what they saw. But the point is, they all saw something they'd never seen before. And like most of us, we're uncomfortable with what we don't know, what we don't fully understand. But this one man stood alone. And soon people change things up and that man turned the tide for george lucas and won him the support that he needed these people invested in this movie by the way that man's name was steven spielberg and what does that story have to do with god's solution to racism Well, you see when you break it down to its simplest form one person with the courage can change everything we see what happened in this case of Star Wars. Because listen, love it or hate it, Star Wars is its own empire. You don't have to like it. It's got a theme park now. And one of what, was told, what was said to be one of the most disastrous things ever made has a theme park. Has how many movies, how many cartoons, how many, it's crazy. To some people, it's its own religion, unfortunately. But when you break it down, imagine what one Christian man or woman who refuses to cave into the pressures of culture and society and the toxic thinking that's floating around today. Think about what one Christian man or woman can do for the kingdom of God and transition the racial conversation and the landscape of that in our country. You see, one person who refuses to conform can inspire others to stand up. That's what Spielberg did. He could have jumped in and said, oh, man, you're an idiot. But he didn't. He saw saw something there. Choose the courage to stand for God's perfect truth. Stand up for the values and principles that were taken from God's word that that built our country. Stand up. Be Christians that reflect the love of Christ no matter what. The Bible says in Ezekiel uh, chapter 22, verse 30, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land. Will you stand in the racial and cultural gap that is being pushed onto us as you go to win and commit to grow? Will you be the person that stands in that gap? As we come to our response time this morning, maybe you're not sure what that looks like for you the elders are here, we'd love to pray with you and talk with you and be accountable to you as you choose to stand in the gap to love God and love others. Folks, this whole racial stuff that's been going on in our country needs to come to an end because, as A.B. said, there's there's one race, it's the human race. And we're all made in the image of God. Whatever your response is to God's word this morning, will you stand and sing our response song and consider, will you stand in that gap Will you be the difference maker for our community, for our culture, for our world? Sing this song with us.
2: Hey, man's me,
0: Hey, it's been great to be here with you all this morning with those of you on our live stream and all of you here in person I enjoy being here But now it's time for us to go to win and commit to grow As you go this week I want to encourage you with one of mark Moore's key points from the essay He says the local church is the hope of the world That's god's plan That we go into all the world if we're doing this We can overcome things like the shadow of racism in our country that seems to be growing James four seventeen says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So as we go this week, let's commit to using our influences, our resources, and most importantly, the love of Christ to bring about racial reconciliation in our community and our country. We love because he first loved us. So let's go and live out that love because they will know we are Christians by our love. Let's go and live it and live it out loud. Will you sing this last song with us? We'll walk.